Hey everybody, sorry for that uh, little delay in getting things started there. I, I had to get up and uh, grab something real quick and uh, couldn't find it. And actually, whenever you want to find something right away, you can't find it. So, um, <clears throat> so happy Friday, everybody. Uh, I don't know where uh, most of you are, but uh, I know up here in the Northeast, we're going to get the hottest, hottest weather of the year by far. Um, they're saying 100 and heat index is well over 100 degrees, so um, it's going to be a scorching one. So I hope you have a, a cool place to relax for the weekend at least and stay out of that heat. Um, I want to, <clears throat> I know there's been some site issues the last week or the coding and some of the website stuff is back uh, way, way old and I've been trying to get it upgraded and um Nothing ever goes as planned. So I know this site's looked funky a couple days and some people have had trouble logging in and stuff like that, but I'm pretty sure we have it all fixed now. And uh, it should be it should be good going forward. There may be the occasional glitch here or there, but um, I don't know, hopefully that helps more. And um, additionally, uh, again, I wasn't posting very much this week. I apologize, but uh, I actually... Uh, uh, came down with two separate bouts of food poisoning in one week. <laughs> it's just, it's hard to believe, but uh, it was a, it was a pretty rough week on my end. So I'm about 50% today. So I'm at least want to get this podcast done. And I know there's some questions that everyone's asking. And um, so let's let's get right to it and see what we can find. Uh, first questions here. Um, Long time subscriber here. I think this is the first time I've reached out. Thanks for running a great site with tons of information and guidance. Thank you very much. Uh, the podcast has been a nice addition. Seems a perfect way to get lots of digestible information out quickly. A couple of questions you have time to address them on tomorrow's podcast. Do you think oil feels a little different this time around? I keep hearing lots of chat in the media about the U.S. producing so much more oil domestically that all the unrest in the Strait of Hormuz and the entire Middle East won't really Move the needle for Brent and WTI crude prices here in the U.S. The news of the Iranian drone being shot down has only seen a 0.5 effect on WTI. As I am writing this, it seems like these acts of war, so to speak, would have caused a 10% spike in the crude prices in the past. What are your thoughts on the macro environment for oil? Will we see Brent WTI prices spike, or is it a slow, or is it a slow ride down to the 40s? Okay, um, so I, I think. If you want to put it more, put it back in more of a historical context, I guess, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when there was unrest in the Middle East, right? Um, you know, we weren't, we, drones didn't exist. So the little drone thing yesterday is just a, it's, I wouldn't consider that an act of war or a, really an act of aggression. It's more of a sign of continued tensions. Um, news just came out, and again, we have to validate whether it's true or not, that Iran just seized a U.K. oil tanker in the, in the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, something like that, I think, would be significant, because that's obviously then the U.K. is going to have to respond. The U.S. is the U.K.'s ally, and things like that. Uh, past tensions in the, have always been actual wars in the Middle East, right? Skirmishes, wars. Pipelines broken up, oil, facility, oil facilities attacked, things like that on a large scale, and that has caused an oil spike. What we've seen 
in the Strait of Hormuz the last six months, you know, is really it's they're not they're not with not we've typically seen that has driven oil prices up. You know, they're just little skirmishes, little rising tensions, this and that kind of thing. So I don't think we're comparing apples to apples in this particular case. Um, you know, if it turns out that Iran did actually seize the UK oil tanker today, and if the UK does respond, um, and the US would obviously be right along there with them, um, and I think then it might go down to more than, um, 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 uh, more sanctions. I think then it would actually be, you know, more physical altercations in the strait, uh, perhaps, you know, a U.S., U.K. blockade of Iranian ports sort of thing. Uh, it would be something more significant, um, if, if indeed this is true. Again, we have to see if it is or not, because not everything that comes out of Iran is true, but um, we'll see. And if that were to happen, I'd, oil would spike. Oil would rise, because at the end of the day, 25% of the oil in the world moves through the Strait of Hormuz. 25% of the oil in the world. Um, nobody can make that up. The U.S. right now is a swing producer, um, meaning, you know, if Iran sanctions cripple Iranian oil, we can produce enough to compensate the couple million barrels a day Iran is producing. So, um, but if the Strait of Hormuz became a battleground and oil shipments were not passing through it, uh, that would cause a significant spike in oil prices, no matter what the media says. And I think part of the thing is, again, so if you want to look at it historically, again, you have to go back to the fact that we were talking, you know, in 2000, what was it, 6, 2007? We were at peak oil, right? The oil was 117 bucks a barrel. We were, we were on our way to running out of oil. And this was just a decade ago. And... Three years ago, we were oil glut when prices were at 30. So the media's perception of the future of oil indefinitely is based on today. It's really not based on looking at long-term trends. It's really not looked at anything. It's what's going to grab the headline today. What's going to do this today? I mean, they, they like, you know, and if I'm 51 years old, I've seen peak oil and oil gluts probably four or five times in my lifetime. And, you know, I think oil at between 50 and $65 is probably where it should be. And if something dramatic does happen in the Middle East, um, then it could spike much higher. You know, the majority of the U.S. oil goes through Houston. You know, if Houston were to have another major event like they had, was it three years ago? Uh, when they had all that massive flooding from they had a series of huge storms hit the area and their refineries were all shut and nothing was flowing. Um, and the, for that's where most of the U.S. oil goes out of and is, and is refined. Uh, then oil will spike because it's not going anywhere. So there are things that can happen and do happen with oil all the time. And there are changes, demographic changes. If the U.S. settles this trade war, with the trade spat, whatever, whatever you, however you want to define it, they're having with China, um, and China begins importing massive amounts of U.S. oil again, well, WTI is going to rise. So, you know, a lot can happen. I think that we could see a spike in oil. Um, 
if 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 the situation in Iran blows up. And then blow up, I mean, you know, full-scale military conflict someplace, um, whether it be Saudi Arabia finally having enough of them, you know, another attack on a Saudi refinery, something like that. You know, right now we have these little drone things here, drone things there. We haven't had anything huge. We haven't had Iran lob a missile into, you know, Saudi Arabia to blow up a refinery. We haven't had anything like that. We haven't had massive, large-scale pipeline attacks. We've had little, little one-off events that, if we're being really honest, it's pretty commonplace in the Middle East, right? These little one-off events, not just in Iran or Saudi Arabia, but any country there, it's all pretty normal. It happens, unfortunately, it happens all the time. So we have to kind of back up and when we're saying, you know, military conflict in the, in the Strait of Hormuz, we're not talking a drone getting shot down. We're talking, you know, warships firing at each other, you know, tankers being blocked from exiting or entering the Strait of Hormuz or, you know, if this one was actually seized, we'll see. So, um, do you feel, okay, next question. <clears throat> CHK seems to be set up as a great turnaround story. I, I keep buying all the dips, but I'm starting to get worried. I'm sure you saw the analyst price charts came out this week. I know you aren't a fan of PTs, and neither am I, but it would be nice to see you saying five or six instead of one. Do you know any near-term catalyst for CHK? Are you waiting for slow, steady growth, getting cash flow positive, and grinding it out by paying down the debt? There's a massive debt burden concern you. A bump in oil prices would sure help. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's any. Um, short-term catalyst you know there's nothing um this isn't a situation where uh they're they're closing an asset sale or they're on the brink of announcing an asset sale um something like that um so it's it's quarter to quarter it's improving results improving cash flow you know if you know they still have assets they still say they have assets to sell uh, to sell um, and you know maybe they announce a an asset sale in between, and that would be something that would I think um, be a, a near short term cast. But I don't I don't know that there's anything imminent, or you know I wouldn't say I'm expecting an asset sale any day now. So um, and they've not been a fire sale um, type sellers, so I wouldn't be inclined to think they'd be selling something now just to sell it um, because I'm not sure the prices they'd be getting. Um, so again, and, and I don't know what assets they're looking to sell or not. So, um, but I, I still, I still don't see anything negative. You know, they're still progressing the plan. Um, they're still doing what they need to do. I think natural guy. The reason that the stock has fallen is, you know, oil has fallen off a bit, and natural gas prices have tumbled because up until about two weeks ago, um, it's been an extremely mild summer. Um, this is the first, you know, we're we're almost in August, you know, middle middle of late late June, late July. I'm sorry, and uh, you know, this is the first I think back to back to back 90 degree days I'm going to have here in the Northeast, and that's very, very rare. You know, we'll have, usually we have several 90 degrees in June. And, you know, I didn't even turn on my air conditioning to almost the end of June this year. It was so cold up here. Um, so, you know, natural gas prices have followed that. You know, you get two or three weeks of this heat and you're going to see a massive drain 
on you know supplies of natural gas and natural gas prices will recover and as they recover so does so will chesapeake energy um it's that's just the nature of the beast so and again if oil rises or i don't i don't honestly think that they are getting due credit uh for their oil exposure yet um i think everyone still looks at them as a uh, pure natural gas play because oil really hasn't fallen that much it's still in the high 50s um, which is about where it's averaged the last six months or so and you know only thing that's fallen is natural gas and they've gotten shellacked despite the fact that i think 80 percent of the natural gas for this year is hedged anyway so it's not like it's definitely affected them right now so that i mean i i still hold it i haven't sold a single share i'm waiting for you know, people to realize what it has, and I guess, I guess my biggest fear at this point is them getting a, a three dollar buyout offer and just jumping at it, because um, I think long term it's worth much more than that. Um, so I just we just need I just need to wait and be patient. Um, can, oh, the next question is about Chesapeake too. Uh, can you please comment on why the stock price drops? Well, I, okay, natural gas and oil prices have fallen. Near term catalyst? No, I don't. Um, CEO, CFO, EVP, each bought 50,000 shares, $2 a May. You think you've decided to buy. Anytime the price has dropped around 2 bucks, they've all been buying. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, I don't have any real, con- I mean, it's always good when insiders are buying stock, right? And, you know, the assumption is nobody knows more than them. I think it was Peter Lynch had the famous quote. He goes, the insiders will stel- sell stock. Uh, for multiple reasons, and most of them aren't bad, you know, whether they're buying a home or paying for kids' college or gifting money to people or donating to a charity, they'll sell stock or gift stock or whatever. Those aren't, none of those are bad things, reasons to be selling the stock they have. Uh, but he said there's only one reason they buy it. They think it's going higher. So, um, again, and Lawler's delivered, you know, if he keeps setting his goals for the company, keeps giving where he thinks it's going to be, and he keeps he keeps hitting that. So I, I can't fault him. And the stock price is going to do what it's due, but as long as he's progressing on his plan, eventually that's going to be realized in the um, price of the stock. Uh, regarding July 18, Reuters was in Clary. What do you think are the risks for further delay, even later September, of release of Blueprint 4 plan? I, I don't know at this point. I don't know. I mean... You know, he said August, maybe September. I mean, got to remember, August is two weeks away, less than two weeks away now. So, you know, we could get a plan in, you know, two weeks. We could get one in eight weeks. I don't know. Um, I hope the delay is not that. I think at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if Mnuchin and Calabria want to get this done, um, they need to do it before the election. Because if Trump loses, Mnuchin's gone, right? Whoever comes in is not going to keep him. Um, and uh, whoever comes in can remove Calabria if he wants. So, you know, if this is their, if this is their top priority as they said it was, and this is the crowning achievement on both of them, you know, it seems to be what Calabria has based a lot of his work on, right? He wrote, he co-wrote, or I don't know if he co-wrote, he contributed to the creation of HERA. He was on the team that created it. 
Um, he spoke for years about the illegality of the net worth sweep and stuff like that. And, you know, if, if he wants to get this done, then they need to do it before the election because, you know, there's no guarantee that either one of them are going to be in office next fall. So I don't, you know, do I think they'll be late past September? I don't know. I hope not. I think um, that they're doing everything possible. You know, he says it's basically done. I've heard that it's in treasuries now and the administration's looking at it. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we, we get something soon. And then, you know, and I, as I said before, I think the stocks, the most of the reaction, the stock prices are going to be based on what happens in the plan um, rather than the timing of it, whether it happens in Q1, Q2 or Q3 next year. I think um, just knowing what's going to be converted at what and stuff like that is going to make the stocks jump pretty good. So um, a couple of the general questions. You've gone through some of your idea generation approach and mentioned in there that you evaluate management. I think the IIPR management team was an example. How do you go about evaluating the management team? Is that from experience and past knowledge or do you get info from proxy filings? Other than general background info, sometimes it's hard to find info about management. So, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So, um, obviously, <coughs> um, you know, when you go to the management team and you're looking at a company with the management team, but always will list their, um, you know, past affiliations, past jobs and things like that. So when I'm looking at an investment, I'll go back through and, and look at, you know, so it's, it's a lot easier if the guy's a CFO, right? I mean, a CEO, um, because obviously whatever company he led before, you can go back and look at, you know, what he, what he said when he was there. Um, and what he did and, you know, did he meet expectations all the time? Did the stock perform well? Did it do, you know, well for a long number of years and things like that? Um, and I do look at that. I do look at that previous history. A brand new CEO, um, is a tough one because, um, you know, like when Flannery took over at GE, you know, he had never been a CEO before. He was, you know, he led, but he led one of their major divisions. So you kind of look at what he did there. But even that's tough because, again, he may lead a division, but he's still not leading a company. And even though you're leading, I don't know, I don't remember what he, if he read, led, led transportation or what he led, um, you're still taking orders from someone above you, right? So, and you're still either benefiting or being hurt by decisions of others that are above you um, directing some of your activities, right? So if that's a little tougher to do. Um, but if you're a previous CEO or even a previous CFO, you know, because they're, you know, they're not, they're sort of, you know, they're not like uh, the president of transportation. You know, CFO is sort of an independent thing, company to company to company. Yes, he's working directly with the CEO, but you kind of get some idea of their style and things they've done and accomplished and stuff like that based on, you know, has this guy worked at, you know, three previous companies and all three got bought out? Or, you know, did he work at three companies before and all three were big big acquirers of their own stock and, and things like that? Or, 
you know, does he typically run up debt or does he run a lean balance sheet? Things like that. You can kind of get a sense um, on their past uh, history is what they're going to do at the current place, right? I mean, you know, if you guys, if a guy's been a CFO at three companies, uh, I think it's highly unlikely at company number four is to completely change the style. Same thing with the CEO. So, like, that's why I'm very, you know, I'm optimistic on GE with Culp now because Culp ran fast and all for, I don't know, I think two, almost two decades. And the stock performed amazing. The company performed amazing. He did a fantastic job. Um, I don't think you go from doing a great job to being garbage overnight. Now, GE's a monster to wrap around. It's not going to be an immediate turnaround. But again, this guy has a history of doing these things. He's done it before. He he has a blueprint. He has a guideline he'll go by. And I think, um, you know, it's like kind of, you know, you could have secretariat in a race and you put a great jockey on it. Um, it's probably going to win. You put me on that horse. A horse probably not going to win. So, you know, having having a great jockey, which is the scenario as a CEO, um, will make a big difference in a company. So I, th- I think it's important. So I do always look at management. And that's like I go back to this Chesapeake Energy with Lawler. He's accomplished everything he said he's going to do. Yes, it's taken some time. But yes, the 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 hole he inherited. Don't forget, a couple years ago, nah, maybe three or four years ago, people were talking about Chesapeake going under. And that's not in the public conversation right now. It's just not there. So, you know, he's done that job and he's he's got him turned around. He's got him moving this direction, got him moving that direction. He's doing the right things. He's not over-promising, under-delivering, and things like that. And I think that was part of my problem on my own sea change. Is that CEO just couldn't, you know, he 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 set goals for quarter A and and hit, then miss on quarter two. And hit on quarter three and miss on quarter four. And you're like, that's just, you know, it became one of those situations where, you know, you just didn't know what direction they were going to be going at any diff- any given time. So, you know, if, if they can't figure it out, then I'm sure as heck not going to be able to figure it out. So that's why I just moved on from that investment and um, put the money uh, someplace else. So um, also, all right, this is, this is another question now. Also, without getting too personal, if you took a snapshot of your browsing history, what are the two or three websites you use to do most of your reading? I know you mentioned Valueland Survey, and I think Barron's before. Any other good websites you could recommend with good information? Um, So that's that's interesting, because when I think about it, I don't have... I mean, I, obviously you read Barron's in the journal because, you know, whenever you pull up a news feed, they're going to be, right? Anytime you pull up a business news feed, whether you use Apple News or whatever you do, any article there is going to come up first. So you, you find yourself reading those articles. But, you know, like you're never going to find Pacific Land Trust in any of those things. So if I'm, if I'm looking at an investment, I just Google the investments and I just go where it takes me. Um and start reading stuff like that. Um, and honestly, it's all over the place. So I'll use like, um, sometimes I have RSS feeds for like subjects. Like you could do hashtags or subjects or, you know, you'll have, you could have Google alerts um, for your companies that you own. And, you know, they'll give you the 10 best web results or that you could do for everything on the, on the web that day on it. 
and you'll get emails every day on it and I just read those and I go through those and see what it is so there's no I have no go-to news site that I have to check out every day and read I just kind of I you know I as I'm doing my research and doing my investigating on things during the day I go or what takes me you know obviously some of them are junk so I'll you know <clears throat> I'll get through a paragraph and realize that this is you know whatever and I'll just go but and some are good but yeah I'm sorry there's really nothing there's nothing specific there. Um, do, you, <clears throat> do you foresee any scenario where the preferreds from one GSE get treated differently than the preferreds from the other GSE? No, I don't. I don't see any scenario where something like that would happen. Um, I think if they were to try and do something like that, I think, um, yeah, I think the lawsuits would be flying. I think, I mean, their whole, the whole basis for the lawsuits, right? And don't forget, I mean, most of the most of the guys that have the lawsuits out there, they're they are shareholders in the preferreds of both companies, right? So, um, like I know Berkowitz. I don't know what he's done recently with it, but you know he originally owned preferreds in both. Pretty sure Ackman owns common shares in both. Um, Paulson owns shares in both. So, I mean, their whole the whole legal argument is that they were not treated equitably, right? So, to then go and treat the preferred shares of each company differently would then be saying you're you're okay with inequitable treatment so you, you can't do that so i don't see any scenario where that would happen and the lawsuits are against treasury and fh fhfa for the net worth sweep from both right there's not a not a there's not a lawsuit saying the fannie mae shareholder and the net worth sweep, and there's not another one saying the Freddie Mac shareholder a net worth sweep. It's the GSEs, a net worth sweep from their profits uh, to the Treasury. It's not individual lawsuits. So um, I don't, I really don't see any way possible that uh, that that would be something that could happen. I think it would just. It, as just in a, a simple basis of law, I don't see what happened. And there were, so there was a really, so I just I go to the, uh, I put Friday's links up today. And in there is a 35 minute um, audio of an Investors Unite um, teleconference with David Thompson, who was Fairholme's lead lawyer. Uh, and he talks about the, um, some recent hearings they've had and he seems to be under the assumption that um, things are going very well and he is under the impression that um, I don't know he's a very confident man but I'll just put it that way but it's a great listen he goes to a lot of legalities of it he goes to the law stuff on it and I'm not a lawyer so I'm not going to try and recode it because I want to mess it up it's a great, it's a great, it's 35 minutes. It's an easy listen to is the, the link for it's right there. Um, 
I suggest you listen to it. it it's really, really good. Um, let me see what else. So, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's really it for the questions today. Um, let me just check in case I got some late ones. Um, give me two seconds. Yeah, I don't, um, yeah, all right, I don't, yeah, I don't see any more, um, I don't see any, I don't see any more now, so, okay, um, I think that's all we got, so, I hope, uh, I hope wherever you are, you have a place to stay cool this weekend, and I hope everyone has a very happy and a very safe weekend, and it's a little rough week this week in the markets, I think, especially for some of my stuff. So hopefully next week's a little rosier and we can uh, we have some happy news reports. So have a great weekend, everybody.